This is the Motion Church Podcast. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like more information about Motion Church, you can always visit our website at motionchurch.com. If you'd like to contribute to what God is doing here at Motion, you can do that at motionchurch.com forward slash give. We hope you enjoyed today's message. All right, what's up, everybody? Man, you are a lively bunch this morning. I know what it is. It's about 10, 15 degrees cooler outside. Uh, listen, I'm, I'm not trying to jinx this, but we're almost there, almost there. Fall's my favorite time of the year. Uh, I think it's God's reward for suffering through summer. My opinion, like you can have your own wrong opinion, but that's, that's how I feel about it. Hey, so we're continuing a series today called... Beautitudes. I know that's kind of a kind of a weird word. It's not a word. I made it up. Um, but so the idea here is we're pulling from in Matthew chapter five in the Sermon on the Mount. There's this this word we talked. We kind of talked about the, the the whole meaning of the word beatitudes last week. So you can go back and listen to that. But the beatitudes are found in Matthew chapter five, and it's these blessings that you find that that Jesus talks about. And what's so fascinating about all of it is that it's they're like blessings that you wouldn't necessarily anticipate, right? Because I think what we do if something isn't good, it's hard for us to understand how it would be a blessing. And Jesus kind of makes a very strong point over and over and over that just because something that you perceive to not be good happens in your life does not mean that I cannot take it and turn it for good and, and do what I do with things that you think are too hard for me to do. Right? That's, that's kind of how, you know, I hate to be crass about it, but that's how he rolls. Like, that's what he does. He takes messes and turns them into miracles, right? He takes mistakes and turns them into lessons and things that teach us about his mercy and his goodness that stick with us for the rest of our life. And so anyway, we kicked off the series last week talking about one of the Beatitudes. We'll read the whole passage and then we'll talk about, we'll talk about what we're going to talk about, right? We, you got to tell them what you're going to talk about. You got to talk about what you're going to talk about. And then you got to tell them what you talked about. And so that's what we're doing, right? And so, yeah, it's just like teaching. He's like, listen, I tell people all the time, I was like, being a pastor and being a coach, really not much different. Like, you tell people what you've already told them about 100 times, and then you just kind of expect them to go do what you've already told them. Um, and, and I'm not just coaching you guys. I'm coaching myself, right? I'm like, dog, dude, you know what to do. Go do it. And in fact, that's kind of where this whole series came from, is, is I was kind of, I've just been thinking a lot of, uh, lately, I don't know, the last couple of months about the idea of attitude. Um, as I confess last week, because I don't know about you, but my attitude is not always a good attitude. I don't know why that is so funny to everyone. Because here's where, this is, I, I told the first experience, I was like, I felt judged when I say that, because you guys are laughing at me. Because uh, I'll admit, my attitude is not always the best attitude, but neither is, neither is yours, because I've seen some of y'all with your bad attitudes running around too. And, and so I just, I've been thinking a lot about the, this whole idea of attitude, like, is it a good attitude that we're after? Like, what does that even mean? Does it mean that we have to be happy all the time? Uh, does it mean that we have to just like permigrant like a high school cheerleader? Are we smiling all the time? And I don't think that's it. I'm, I'm just, again, just kind of wrestling with what the idea or the idea of like, what is the right attitude in terms of being a follower of Jesus? And so this whole series is kind of, it's, it's birthed out of that. It's me sharing my suffering with you guys. So all right, Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 10. It says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Again, taking something that we wouldn't necessarily consider a blessing in Jesus, taking it and turning it into a blessing. So blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. That's what we talked about last week. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so, again, it's these, these blessings that, it's kind of these inverted blessings, right? These upside-down blessings, things that we wouldn't naturally or, or initially think of as blessings, but they are when you start to understand them more fully. And so what we're going to focus on today is Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. It says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. The title for today's message is Mercy, Mercy, Mercy. If you grew up in the South, you probably heard somebody at some point in your life say that, and it's usually because you did something dumb, right? Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Some of y'all did a lot of dumb stuff when you were kids, and you probably heard mercy, mercy, mercy a lot. And so we're going to talk about the reason we're, we're doing mercy, 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 because I think there are three aspects to this idea of being merciful. And, and although this, this passage only really talks about two, it says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. But I think it starts even further back than that, right? So before you can get to the place where you are merciful and then receive mercy, I think you have to receive mercy so that you can be merciful, then you can receive mercy, right? So it starts, our ability to be merciful begins with us receiving mercy. So that's where we're going to start is receiving mercy. In other words, mercy comes from mercy, right? You cannot give what you do not have. It, it is very difficult for us to give something that we don't understand and we don't have. It's hard to love if you don't if you don't feel loved, right? Like generally what we do is we project and whatever is going on inside of us is what we project onto those who are around us, right? The, the, if you feel loved and you feel respected and you feel honored and feel all of these things, then what we do is we take that and we then pass that off to the people who are closest to us. And, and the same can be true in a negative sense as well. And so once we feel like and we receive mercy, we understand mercy, it's easier for us to give mercy to other people. I read this, this quote that I thought was really good. Again, just in, in terms of understanding how we receive mercy and then we, we give mercy, it says this, the key to becoming a merciful person is to become a broken person. You get the power to show mercy from the real feeling in your heart that you owe everything you are and have to sheer divine mercy, right? We, we give mercy because we understand that God in his mercy loves us, demonstrated love to us. So, so this is the distinction between grace and mercy because we do this we do this thing a lot in Christianity where like, we talk about one thing, but then we don't talk about the other thing. And I get it's easier sometimes to talk about some things than it is other things, but we need to talk about both things and things and things like that and more things, right? So, so the essence of the gospel is what that, that God showed kindness to us when we didn't deserve it. So grace, we talk about grace all of the time. Grace is, is the receiving of a gift that we didn't deserve. He gave us this gift that we did not earn we couldn't earn it. In fact, that's what the word grace means. It's like the receiving of a gift. It's a gift that you don't earn. It's unmerited favor from God. Now, so that's, that's grace is the giving of a gift that you didn't deserve. Mercy is the withholding of the punishment that we did deserve. So this is how this works. Think about it kind of in like how many of you would admit that you watch entirely too many like uh, true crime stuff too much to oh, I just I love it. I don't know why. I, I, th I think I like it because I like to see 
the you got got moment, like where you, you done did something stupid and then you, you left a clue that you did something stupid and then you done got got. I like the you done got got moment. And so I, I love watching all of this stuff. So in, in our case, we, we are guilty, right? We, we are absolutely 100% unequivocally, unequivocally, that's a good word, unequivocally, that's a, that's a $3 word and I got a $2 vernacular. So here we go. So we are guilty, but God withholds the punishment of our guilt, and that is mercy. And so in his mercy towards us, like, again, we understand it, so now we can receive it. You can't receive it if you don't understand it. So once we understand it, then we can receive it. And I think it's, it's one of those things that's really hard for us to grasp. We don't like to talk about the, the wrath of God. Like, there is wrath. Like, when somebody does something that's wrong, it generates a feeling of anger a lot of times. Like, if you are blatantly and egregiously wrong, then it generates a feeling of anger. And so our sin created a feeling of anger, like God has a high standard, God is holy, and God cannot tolerate sin, so it created anger, but the wrath of God was satisfied in Jesus' death on the cross. And so that is mercy, him not giving us the punishment that we deserve, but instead giving us the gift that we did not deserve. You see the kind of the difference in how all of this works. So here are a couple of verses that help us how to understand how to receive mercy. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13, it says this, no one who conceals transgressions will prosper, but one who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Let me, I'm going to break that down like in, in very simple and easy to understand. Let's, put, let's make it modern. If you hide it, you ain't going to make it. But if you let it out and you, you let everybody know what it is or let the right people know what it is, then you will receive and obtain mercy. And, and what's so cool is, so Proverbs was written hundreds of years before Jesus came to the earth. But it's kind of, in, in a sense, it's prophetic in that it gives us an idea of what salvation in Christ looks like and, and how we obtain salvation through what Jesus has done for us. It's this confession. We confess to God our, our sins and the things that we've done, and then we ask him for forgiveness. And if we do that, if we confess that, it says, one who confesses and forsakes will obtain mercy. So we receive mercy from God by confessing our sins to him and asking him to forgive us. First John chapter one, I think it's first John chapter one, verse nine, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So that's how we start to receive mercy. We confess our sins and then God in his mercy gives us mercy because like it's, you can't give what you don't have. He's got it and he gives it. And so once we receive it, then the expectation is for us to give it. Okay. I thought you were supposed to fill in the blank but I didn't make it clear that there was a blank. So that one's on me. Next time it's on you, right? <laughs> Fool me once. So, so we receive mercy. That's kind of like the, the initial reception of mercy. But then this is where it gets good for us, for us as people who can't always get it right. I, I love going back to that quote. It talks about the, the key to becoming a merciful person is to become a broken person. So this is what's so good about this. Although I may not be able to understand the, the specific thing that you're going through, the specific thing that you're struggling with, the sin that, that, that causes you to fall or to stumble, I may not be able to understand the specific thing, but I understand brokenness. And I understand because of brokenness and because of our sinful nature, how you got into the thing that you got into. And that's what mercy is. Mercy is, is God, I know that I'm broken and I need you to do for me what I cannot do for myself. So give me the ability to have that same mentality towards other people. Hebrews chapter four, verse 16, it says this, let us then 
approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we, we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So, so once we receive mercy, once we confess our sins to him, we ask for forgiveness and we receive that, that kind of initial dose of mercy. The good news is, is that we get to continue to receive mercy and to receive mercy and to receive mercy. And, and here's where we, we tend to mess up so often in Christianity is like, we're all about God giving us mercy, but we're, we're much less, uh, what is the word? We're um, very judicious in our giving our giving of mercy, right? We want God to give us mercy all the time. We want God to give us grace all of the time, but it's hard for us then to extend that grace and that mercy to other people. And somebody told me one time, now look, don't get offended at me because I'm just sharing with you what somebody said to me. Is that how that works? Can I get away with that? Somebody said one time, he's like, you know what we've got? He's like, we got a bunch of fat Christians running around because all we did, not physically, that's, it's not, not like that. But what it is, like we just, we're bloated, right? Because we just want to receive from God and we want to receive from God and we want to receive from God and we never give the thing that we're receiving from God. And kind of the idea, I thought it was, it was clever, it was kind of crude, but it, the clever idea was that like, hey, it's not always just about what you get, but then about what you do with what you get. So let's talk about giving mercy. So we receive mercy and then the real work begins, like, this is where it gets hard, right? It's, it's, it's easy. It preaches good, talking about receiving mercy from God, but then you got to go and you got to give mercy. And so for many of us, giving mercy, is it starts with undoing a lot of the things that we've been taught, undoing maybe the way that you were brought up. Maybe you grew up in a, a tough household or one that just wasn't very merciful, and so maybe you thought that's the way that the world works or the world should work. And so maybe for you as a follower of Jesus, like maybe you got to unlearn some of the things that you've, you've learned and some of the things that you've been taught. Maybe you're like me and you grew up watching way too many 1980s action movies, right? They're so bad. Have y'all like gone back and watched stuff from your childhood? You're like, how in the world was this entertaining? But it was. And then it's like, it's so bad. It's nostalgic. It's still good. Uh, in fact, we watched, we watched Back to the Future the other day like the first one, and, and people that had not seen it that were younger who have no taste, uh, they watched it with us, and they were like, that is the dumbest movie, and I'm like, nobody likes you. Nobody likes you. I'm just kidding. So I watched a lot of 80s movies. I watched a lot of the, the action 80s movies. In fact, like, I, I wanted to, like, I told the first experience, like, my, per, my career, career uh, aspirations and, and kind of what I wanted to do, but I just wanted to be like Jean-Claude Van Damme. You know, and I try. I even tried to do the splits thing. Yeah, remember on, on. I'm not gonna get into it. If you want to know, I'll tell you. <clears throat> I am flexible, but I'm not that flexible, right? So one of the one of the movies that I watched a lot was Karate Kid. Like not, not the new Karate Kid. I'm talking about the the old Karate Kid with Ralph Macchio, right? Daniel San, right? Y'all know what, anybody? Yeah. How many of you have seen the original Karate Kid? How many of you have not seen the original Karate Kid? Oh, I just, I have, have mercy on your soul, right? So, so I remember watching the Karate Kid and, and kind of one of the themes in there, if you remember uh, the, the, the guy that led the Cobra Kai instructor, he was the instructor for Cobra Kai, one of the things he talked about was like mercy is for the weak, no mercy. And then it's funny how it actually kind of gets turned around on him in the end and he goes, kurr, kurr. you remember that? So, so anyway, and put him in a body bag, Johnny. So I'm, I'm unlearning a lot of my childhood, right? A lot of the things that I thought about mercy. 
And, and so maybe, maybe that's what you've got to unlearn or some of these lessons that you were taught about. Maybe you don't demonstrate, you don't give mercy to other people. Maybe you grew up thinking that mercy was for the weak, but as you get older and as you mature in Jesus, what you realize is that you and I are the ones who are weak and we are receiving mercy and there are other people who are weak and we should give them mercy too. And maybe even worse than all of that, maybe you grew up in a religious household. And I mean that like in the worst sense of the word. Like we're, we're all religious in, in the sense that we're connected to, we're, you know, part of a religion. We are Christian, so that is a religion, so we're all religious. But religious in the sense of the word that, that you are, you go through the motions, you're more concerned with how you look than what you are. That's a whole problem. Right? When you're more about the show of things versus the heart of, of you know, who you really are as a person. The most important thing about you is, is who you understand God to be and how that affects your life. That's the most important thing. Listen, what you do is always going to be secondary to who you are. And what happens in, in these religious kind of mentalities is we elevate our behavior and we put much less emphasis on our belief. And, and what happens, what it's supposed to be instead, your belief should dictate your behavior. And so if your behavior is all about the show of things, then what it tells me is that your beliefs are that you are good and you don't need God. We just, okay, you know, if you, you don't have to take my word for it. This is what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 9, verses 10 through 13. And he says this. As he sat at a table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with Jesus and his disciples. So this is where it, it starts to kind of, it creates some conflict. Jesus, the Son of God, is sitting with, eating dinner with sinners and tax collectors. I, I love how it just kind of gives them these labels, right? It's, he's not hanging out with a group of people or a certain, you know, it's just like sinners and tax collectors, no big deal. And tax collectors... Uh, I, don't know, I don't know how you feel about the IRS. Not exactly my favorite entity in the entire world. I mean, I, don't, I just don't feel like wonderful about writing a check to the IRS every year and be like, I know you guys are going to use this so well and efficiently, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to do good. And so here, let me gladly write this check, and, and you do with it what you see fit. That's how we feel about tax collectors. In, in this time, they felt even worse about tax. So take the IRS, for example. If you work for the IRS, we love you. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> but, but take the IRS. Like, again, kind of, you know, this is ancient IRS. So not only were they taking money from you, your hard-earned money, not only were they collecting the taxes, but they would also then take that money and give it to your enemy. So, so Rome controlled Jerusalem and Israel at the time, right? So, so they were taking money from Jews and then giving it to the Roman oppressors. Like it kind of adds a whole nother level of disdain for the middlemen and the tax collectors were the middlemen. And so that's the people that Jesus was hanging out with, tax collectors and sinners. And it says this, when the Pharisees saw this, the Pharisees were the religious people. They were, they were very much concerned with the appearance of things. And they were not concerned with their hearts. And Jesus called them one time, Matthew chapter 20, I think it was 23 or 25. He said, you are whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. And I was like, dang! <laughs> Jesus just smoked them fools. Whitewashed tombs, like you look right on the outside, but your heart is full of dead men's bones, right? It is empty, it is broken, it is destitute, because you're focusing on all of the wrong things. So Jesus is hanging out with the sinners and the Pharisees. The Pharisees saw this. I'm sorry, he's hanging out with the sinners and the tax collectors. 
The Pharisees saw this, and they said to his disciples, because they didn't have the courage to talk to Jesus face to face. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his, because to, let me get sidetracked for just a minute. Because isn't, isn't that how religious people will do it? They'll talk to people about you, but they ain't going to talk to you. Because they're not concerned with helping you get through the thing that you're going through. They're concerned with making a show of the thing that you're going through so they feel better about themselves. Okay. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, cowards, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, so Jesus overhears it. And, you know, I just kind of wonder, like, this passive-aggressive thing that, that's going on. It's like they said it to, to his followers, but they didn't have the guts to say it to him. And so they're kind of, in my opinion, maybe they're being passive-aggressive. So Jesus heard it, and he's just being very direct. He's like, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And what I love about this is Jesus is, is making, making it extremely clear. Now, what we do, it's, it's hard to understand. If you took that, that passage or that verse out of context or just kind of pulled it out without context, and it says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Now, that is not to mean or not to say that Jesus doesn't require sacrifice. Following Jesus certainly requires sacrifice, sacrifice of preference, sacrifice of some of the things. You're going to give things up if you want to follow him, and that's just the way that it is. Like, read the rest of the Gospels, and you'll figure that out. But if your emphasis is only on what it is that you sacrifice to make yourself look good, then you're missing the point of mercy. What, what Jesus is saying to these people who are not interested in giving mercy, they're interested into making themselves look good by comparing their goodness to, the, to other people's struggles. So this is what they would do. They would stack up all of their good deeds. In fact, to be a Pharisee, you had to follow every commandment in the Old Testament, 613 commands in the Old Testament, and you had to follow all of them. And then if you wanted to take it to the next level and be a really good Pharisee, they kind of started adding their own laws on top of the law, and you had to follow every single one of those laws. So they felt really, really good about themselves. So their sacrifice was that they would, they would follow all of these laws, but their hearts were empty. Their hearts were not merciful. They failed to make the transition from receiving mercy to giving mercy because they didn't really see their own need for mercy. They thought they were good. And, and you know what's, what's kind of crazy about this? is like the same mentality is found and sometimes even prevalent in our society, our churches, our families, our mirror like the mentality that man i'm i'm good right like i mean i'm not perfect but i'm not as bad as you nobody would ever say that right like you wouldn't say it. like i'm not i mean i'm not jesus but but i'm not as bad as this person and this person and this person and so the question becomes is like well what is good well good according to whose standards your standards good according to the standards of the world good according to to the person next to you or good according to the standard that god is going to hold us to based on how we live our life and what we do with the days that he's given us. That's the standard that we should be concerned with, right? That's one of the things that I think I'm, I'm most proud about with this church, is that this is a place where, where mercy, I believe, is given. We're not perfect. I mean, we're real close. I'm just, I'm kidding, kidding. Like, if you thought this church was perfect, meet the pastor, that dude. Wow. I don't know why y'all are laughing so much at that. 
So, so the, the other side of mercy is what? Judgment. And you guys were just judging real hard in that moment. So, so the difference between mercy and judgment, this is kind of, let, let's understand this more fully. So when it comes to, to mercy, mercy is not throwing all of the standards out the window. Like mercy is not just this, this loose, somebody called it sloppy grace. And I think that's such a great way to explain it. It's like, but just because somebody gives you a gift doesn't mean that you squander the gift or you don't respect the gift. And, and mercy is very much like that. Just because we're merciful doesn't mean that we don't have standards, right? It's not that, that God just doesn't have high expectations for us any longer. In fact, if you read the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, Jesus kind of takes the standards to the next level. He was like, you've heard it said, this is what people have told you. This is how maybe you understood life to be, but I'm actually going to require more of you, and I'm going to expect more of you as my followers. And so the difference between mercy and, and kind of this, this you know, judgmental approach is really this. What happens, what are you going to do when somebody misses the mark? That's the difference, right? Because, newsflash, you're going to miss the mark. I'm going to miss the mark, right? We are broken, and in our brokenness, like, we, we need mercy. So when somebody else misses the mark, how are you going to respond? How am I going to respond? How are we collectively as a church going to respond when somebody misses the mark? Are you going to be judgmental? Are you going to pile on? Are you going to tell them things that they already know? Because that's what we tend to do as a society. It's like, oh, look what you did. Well, no kidding. I know what I just did. You're just telling me what I just did when I know what I just did, and you're just piling on to the thing that I did. I think the best way for us to understand this is that it's not your job. It's not my job to convict. We, we don't get to tell people that they were wrong. It's Jesus's job to tell people what, what's going on in their hearts. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict the world of sin. He's doing a really good job. You're not him. Back off. Right? Mind your business. Like, get, okay, I'm not going to. I'm not going to be all judgy and stuff, right? We're going to be a place, a place of mercy. So it's, it's the idea of like, what do you do in the face of failure? Are you judgmental? Do you pass judgment and be like, I can't believe that they would do that? When you do that, kind of what you're saying, whether you, you mean to or not, is I can't believe that they would do that because I would never do that. And the reality is you just don't know when you should be given mercy because you're at some point going to need to receive mercy. I think this is the driving driving motivation for this approach of, of giving mercy versus being judgmental. Now, I hate, I don't even like this, this, I don't even like this conversation, to be honest with you, because what we do, we've created this stupid conversation in, in church culture where it's like, well, you can't even, you can't even, people say, well, you just can't judge me. Only God can judge me, and he will. That should terrify you, right? The fact that the, the king of the earth, the God of the universe is going to judge you should cause you to have some pause and consider the way that you're living your life. And so what we do is we, we misquote, we take out of context Matthew chapter 7 where it says, you know, judge not. And, and when people say this, they don't even read their Bible, but they use the King James, and I'm like, what are you doing? They're like, judge not lest ye be judged. I'm like, really? That's, we're going to go there? And, and so kind of what that whole conversation is actually about, it's, it's how you judge is how you're going to be judged. Not that you, we, should, we shouldn't judge. Just that the way that you judge, if you're judgmental, then you're going to be treated judgmentally. It's not that we don't judge. It's just how you then judge. Okay, I got way, way deep in the woods on that one. Everybody good with that? If not, stop judging me. Matt, this is what it says. James chapter 2, verse 13, it says this. This is why we choose this kind of approach of mercy versus 
judgment. It says, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. That's the, the standard that you use is the standard that will be applied to you when your time comes, and your time will come. It's not a matter of if, but a matter of when. Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. And then it says this, mercy triumphs over judgment. What do you want? Like, what, what is your expectation of, of other people? Is the expectation for them to, to the, the phrase that we use is get it. Right? We want people to get it. We want people to understand it. We want them to understand that God has a plan for their life, and, and that plan is filled with good things, but there are also expectations. And so we want them to get it. Let me tell you something. They're not going to get it when you're always wagging your finger at them. They're just not. I don't, how many times have you been influenced in a positive sense by people just piling on and telling you all the dumb things that you did and where you were wrong and not walking with you through the thing that you're going through? I think that, that influence is a result of proximity, and you don't get close to people that you're judging. You get close to people that you're merciful with. You get close to people that the difference between judging is finger-wagging and mercy is the hands and feet of Christ that walk with people through the things that they're facing and going through. So our, our goal is influence, and you influence through mercy. You ostracize and you separate when you're choosing judgment. All right, so that's how we give. Is that helpful? Tell me that it is. I feel better about myself and all these things, right? So we receive mercy, and then we give mercy, and so this is the third part. We've got mercy, mercy. I even, I created hand motions to this last night in my head. I haven't fully, I haven't fully practiced it, but if you guys don't mind, we could try to do this together. I'm just kidding. Actually, you know what? We're going to do it, just as I'm thinking it out. So, so what do we do? We, we receive mercy. Remember, 80s action movies, okay? You got it? So we receive mercy, we give mercy, and then the third mercy is that we receive mercy. We, we reap mercy. So y'all ready? Here we go. This is fun. This is good. I, man, I love this church. All right, so we receive mercy, we give mercy, we reap mercy. And this whole thing in my head is like, like, Okay, I told y'all, karate kids, son, wax on, wax off. So, so we receive mercy because you can't give what you don't have. Then we give mercy because we have a proper understanding and view of, of God being merciful to us when we don't deserve it. Therefore, we give mercy to other people when they're not necessarily deserving. We're broken and they're broken, so we choose to be merciful versus judgmental. And then the last thing that we do is we reap mercy, the result of showing or in this case, sowing mercy is that you reap mercy. God's word says, it says, if you reap, you will sow. Whatever you reap, that you will also sow. And so as we sow mercy, we will eventually reap mercy. And I think there, there are two aspects to this that we're going to cover quickly. The first one is kind of, it's twofold. The first reaping of mercy is in a much more natural sense of the concept. When, when we show mercy to other people in their time of need, they are much more likely to return to favor. Like if, if you are a person who is merciful to other people, it is very likely that they're going to be merciful to you when you need it, when, not if, you need it. And if they aren't, it's just a, it's a teacher, right? It is a lesson that those aren't the kind of people that you need to have in your, your tight circle 
of people. If you've got somebody who is not willing to reciprocate the love that you've given to them, maybe you can love them at a distance, right? If they're not willing to be merciful to you when you've been merciful, because y'all have seen this, like we, we know how this works. Like when you, you go the extra mile for somebody and they can't even come to the front door for you, maybe it's just, it's becoming abundantly clear in that moment that that's not the person that you need to be, you know, building a life with or relationship with or future with or, or whatever that particular re relationship looks like. So when we show mercy to other people, generally when you sow it, you're going to reap it. If you're sowing mercy into other people's lives, you're going to reap it in return from them. And, and like I said, you just never know when that time for you might come. It's, it's honestly, if you just think about living a life of mercy like this, it's honestly and not surprisingly just the best way to live your life. Like you, if you're a nerd, you can do, there are studies that have been done on stuff like this. Like when you live, you have one of two options here. Let's just kind of play this out. Let's say for, you know, the rest of your life, you're going to live one of two ways. You're going to be judgmental or you're going to be merciful. If you're, if you choose to be a person who, who lives of a life of, I don't know if this is a word, but judgmentalism, we're going to go with it and pretend that it is. If you choose to live a life of judgmentalism, what you're going to end up being is a cantankerous, bitter curmudgeon. It's fun. Look, it's good. Those are good words, right? And, and let me, this is, this is helpful probably for some of you. You're going to be alone because nobody likes to be around cantankerous, bitter curmudgeons. And so because your life is, is more lonely, the quality of your life is, is less than what it should be, right? So that's the path that you chose if that's what it is that you choose. On the other hand, if you choose to be a person who sows mercy, you're going to build, it, it's just a lot easier to be around people who are merciful, who are kind, who are compassionate, who are loving, who recognize their own brokenness and don't, you know, pretend like they're better than you because they're hide, they just are better hiding the thing that they go through. Your choice, right? Sow mercy, then you reap mercy. The second component or aspect of reaping mercy is what, what we'll call reaping the ultimate mercy. So, so again, understanding mercy, understanding kind of by definition what mercy is. Mercy is the withholding of judgment, withholding of punishment, right? It's something that we deserve, but God doesn't give it to us even though we do deserve it. And so the, the fulfillment of the ultimate mercy is that we get to spend eternity in heaven with God even though we don't deserve it. Now, okay. I thought that was a lot. My preaching was better than your amen in. So I'm going to say it one more time, maybe in a little different way, so we understand it. Y'all know that a lot of people think they deserve to go to heaven? Because we paint this weird picture about heaven, like it's, you know, butterflies and unicorns and frolicking. And, and I think it's a beautiful place, right? Uh, it's a beautiful place that you and I actually have no business going. And the, the only reason that we have been invited to come to this place that is so beautiful is because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Our confessing our sins to him and asking him to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness is our invitation to the party. Jesus said what? I am the door. If you wanna come in, you gotta come through the door. He is the door. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is our access to this place, this eternity that we get to spend with him. You and I don't earn that. We don't do anything. You're not good enough. I'm not good enough. On my best days, I'm not good enough. Jesus makes me good enough. 
Jesus said that I'm the vine, you are the branches apart from me. You can't do anything good. It says in Romans chapter 3 that every one of us have fallen, sin, fallen short of the glory of God because we are sinners. And so we are invited to spend eternity with God because of what Jesus has done for us. That is the ultimate kind of this demonstration of mercy. And that's what you're invited to. So here's, here's kind of the trick. Think about the math on this. How many of you enjoy math? How many of you have a solid disdain for math? All right, I've got some good math for you. Like, even if you don't like math, this, this is what we're going to call good math. Let's say you spend the next 30, 40, 50, or 60 years of your life sowing mercy. So you would think, just in a very logical sense of, of give and receive, if you sowed mercy for 30, 40, 50, or 60 years, that you would reap mercy for 30, 40, 50, or 60 years. But, but God in his, his, I'll be honest, his broken math was like, if you guys will just sow mercy for, you know, 20 years, 30 years, whatever it is that your life is going to be, if you'll sow mercy for decades, I'll give you mercy for eternity. I will allow you, I will invite you into this relationship with me that's not just for a lifetime, but for all of eternity. And what I'm asking, I'm just asking that you will go and show mercy while you're here on the earth. Can, can we, can we, okay. I'm trying to not be judgmental when we're talking about mercy. But, but as a church, collectively, the big church, not just this church, can we just, can we stop doing this nonsense where we pretend that, that we're something that we're not, that other people are less than we are because of the, maybe the good things that we do? Can we just remember, it's like a reset. How many of you guys had a Nintendo Entertainment Center? Like, since we're going all, I'm sorry, Nintendo Entertainment System, NES, bro, eight bits of glory. So sometimes the, the system just needed a reset. So there were a couple of them where you pull out the game and do I remember that? Some of y'all have no idea what we're doing. Look it up on YouTube. I'm sure somebody's got a video of it. And it, sometimes that didn't work. So what I would do is I would put the game like just on the edge on the lip before you, and you would slam it down. And if that didn't work, sometimes you turned it off, you slapped the sides of it, and then you turned it back on it. And miraculously, dog, I don't know what the science is behind it. I don't know if it's voodoo, witchcraft, or, or I don't know, but it worked. And sometimes I think we, like as followers of Jesus, sometimes we just need a reset. Like, we're broken. I'm, the song, the last song that we sang, I'm, I'm broken inside. Like, let's not elevate our good deeds. Let's not elevate our behaviors above the mercy of God that was demonstrated to us on the cross. That is the highest demonstration of mercy. That is a standard that we will never live up to, right? And so what we do is we receive mercy, then we give mercy. And as we give mercy and we give mercy and we give mercy, ultimately we will reap mercy from God. And, and what a beautiful way to live your life. Speaking of beautitudes, right? It's a beautiful attitude. If you want to have a beautiful attitude, have an attitude that is merciful. Give, give people some room to make mistakes. Again, not that you don't have a high standard, but, but give them the same mercy that you expect when you make a mistake. Because I don't know about you, but I, man, I'm so bad. Because when I make a mistake, like I understand why I made a mistake. When you make a mistake, I don't understand why you did that. 
That's, that's not mercy, right? That's arrogance. That's elevating my worth over the worth of, of other people. And so when, when, not if, those mistakes take place and people fall, let's, let's not stand in judgment and point. Let's reach out in mercy and pull them out of the thing that they're going through so that we can see the influence in their life. We can see them see. We can see them get it, right? We can see them understand that God does have a plan for their life. He, he has a future and a hope in store for them. And you're not going to do that when you're standing on the sidelines wagging that finger, right? Stop. And I feel like I'm preaching to the choir because, again, I'm proud of this church because of the way that we do this. But let's just remember, maybe, maybe you've you've kind of slipped into some of this. You, you start to pit other people against you because you think your good is just that good. Maybe you need a reset. Maybe you need to be slapped. I don't know. It's not for me to judge. But if you want somebody to slap, you just holler at me and I'll take care of that. Let me pray for us, and then I'm going to have a lineup right here in the front. I'm going to start slapping anybody that needs to be slapped. I love this church. Thank you guys so much for joining us this morning. Do let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming to the earth and demonstrating to us what love is. God, we, we probably wouldn't have figured it out otherwise. You could tell us but some things are just better caught than taught. To see you live and to see you love and to see you, see you lead, God, it, just, it helps us to understand what it means to be your followers. God, I pray that you would help us to be merciful as you have been merciful to us. God, we're broken. We're sinful. We don't deserve it, but you give it to us anyway. What we do deserve is your punishment, and you withhold that. God, the divine wrath of God was fulfilled and satisfied in the work of Jesus on the cross. God, help us to receive mercy from you so that we can give mercy to other people and that we can ultimately reap mercy when we spend eternity with you. We love you. It's in Jesus' incredible name we pray and everybody say, amen.